Ryan Stanton here with A's at Frontline, joined today by Dr. Christian Arbelez. And we're going to talk today about something that um, we've touched on before. And if you listen to the recordings from ASAP 19, we actually talked with the um, with the president-elect of the European Society of Emergency Medicine, or European version of ASEP. And I think the international perspective of healthcare, um, especially emergency medicine, as something that uh, really is translating across uh, international borders, is very important. And so uh, with Christian here, we wanted to talk about some of those aspects of things and, and really get kind of the uh, a viewpoint. Because one thing we've one, one of the big jumps we had on this podcast was a number of years ago uh, when we went to SMAC in Dublin, Ireland, and then went to the, the following year SMAC in, um, in Berlin, uh, Germany. Um, and it really did give a lot of different perspective, understanding that, you know, though we see differences across the United States, there is rather more dramatic differences in the approaches, mindsets, once you get to other parts of the world. And um, so we wanted to bring him in here, get some ideas. So, uh, Dr. Arbelez, uh, uh, thanks for joining us here on the front line. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ryan. Um, well, I will start off that I was originally born in Colombia, South America. Uh, grew up in Texas and uh, trained at Brown EM uh, in residency. Did a master's in public health at the Harvard School of Public Health around minority health policy. Um, worked at the Brigham for about 10, 15 years. And I'm currently now the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs at Brown Emergency Medicine. I am the past International Section Chair, and I'm the current International uh, Emergency Medicine Committee that was actually formed at ASIP in Denver last year. Um, I've been working with the International Section now for about uh, eight years. Um, and so um, I think no better time than to talk a little bit about um, the COVID uh, response and the experiences uh, internationally and um, how ASIP has been in the forefront um, and how the experience has actually been shared across the, the front, line, uh, front lines and the front line providers. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And and the, with the COVID aspect, of course, here in the United States, we've got a lot of the uh, combinations of uh, politics and everything else. And I don't think really any of us thought back in January and February we were going to see the impact here in the United States that we have seen where we thought maybe there would be some uh, penetration of COVID into the United States, but not to the point that it was going to uh, – make United States number one in the entire world with regard to the extent of COVID. Um, so give us an idea from your aspect of somebody, uh, you know, originally from South America, um, but also now here in two very geographically and, and personality different parts of the United States, um, that viewpoint of the COVID response and COVID experience from not just here in the United States, but around the world. Well, I'll, I'll start off with some um, kind of observations, um, uh, and, and I'll kind of quote um, Dickens here. I think it's, it's the best of times and, and the worst of times. Um, I think we can all agree, you know, as emergency providers in the U.S. or, or abroad, as some of your audience uh, will be from both of those, that I think the best uh, of what has just happened is the the people. And when I refer to that, I think about all of the uh, emergency care teams, the providers um, really being highlighted as the 
the heroes and in the, the front lines and the teamwork has just been uh, uh, truly extraordinary. Um, the stepping up of, of organizations um, such as ASEP to really provide a lending hand at a time of, of crisis. And, and I think I have to recognize the, the public, uh, you know, really uh, staying away from the emergency departments uh, at a time when we were worried about capacity um, and, and, and trying to really, you know, enforce social distancing and, and the mask wear. Um, I think we've seen the worst of times as far as, um, you know, variability in systems, variability in, in the leadership. Um, we've recognized uh, supply chain issues around PPE. Um, and in the emergency department, I think we, you know, variability in testing um, and, uh, you know, health inequities uh, based on either structural racism or just, um, you know, population health um, issues that have really surfaced. And I think at the end of the day, when you think about COVID and a pandemic or really any epidemic, um, one of the major takeaways will be that emergency medicine will play a, a big part in healthcare systems and in public health systems. Um, and so no better time for us to um, really have this conversation, given that um, emergency medicine in the United States has been around for 50 years. And we have extraordinary um, you know, sort of memory um, sharing of, of our experience with others uh, who are going through the different stages in emergency medicine around the world, um, best practices that we can share, educational resources. Um, and so that's probably um, one of the biggest takeaways is that I think we're gonna need to play a huge role um, and lead um, in the future after we have some of these lessons that are gonna be learned um, from COVID. Interestingly, right. The, the, from the listening standpoint, we just got a message uh, this week from Sweden from an emergency physician uh, who messaged us. But, you know, looking at the the growth of emergency medicine around the world, uh, Europe really trying to um, really trying to standardize across the European Union um, and beyond um, Africa with the growth of their residency emergency medicine residency programs um, and, and around the world for that matter, the maturity and in, in the move of emergency medicine and acute care medicine. But with regard to COVID, we saw China and we thought, well, thank God we're not China. And then we got, you know, the nursing homes and the situations in Washington state. And, you know, and then Italy came along and said, uh, we'll, we'll take it from here um, with their growth of numbers. And we said, well, thank God we're not Italy. And then we got uh, the situation in New York and New Jersey um, in terms of the growth there. And then just not to be outdone then the South gave the whole, hold my beer and with Texas, Florida, the Carolinas, um, Texas, Arizona, uh, with the growth in numbers. Uh, and of course, you know, there's a lot of things here in the United States that have seemed to uh, not only turning it into a political statements rather than science, um, but a lot of different, you know, personalities and things that have driven it. From your work with the international section and, pr and probably interactions from around the world, how do you view the responses to the pandemic from countries in terms of successes and failures, why it worked, why it doesn't, versus what we're seeing and experiencing currently here in the United States? Sure. I mean, I think you've highlighted some of the key ones that, um, that we all sort of watched. Um, certainly Italy uh, brought us uh, the ICU capacity issues and the question of who gets uh, you know, 
ventilator and, and who doesn't. Um, you know, what we've seen now is a spread across uh, Europe, you know, moving in through Spain. Um, and, and now the hotspots currently uh, being the United States and, as well as most of uh, Latin America right now. Um, I think what we've seen that that hasn't worked well is when government and leadership um, doesn't um, enact, you know, rapidly a, a travel ban and a public health uh, mandate around uh, social distancing and, and mask wearing. Uh, contact tracing, I think, has been one of the things that we've seen in places like Singapore initially that really helped um, uh, provide a good response. Um, the ability to find the contacts, isolate, and quarantine is really what, what is needed. Um, the um, places like Brazil right now and Mexico um, passing there through their surge um, has shown us that you know for long long periods of time, um, emergency and public health systems have not been um, where they need to be as far as surveillance. Um, and so I think we're seeing you know crops of uh, of issues there. You know, there's been some good responses as far as innovation. Um, I think that need to be highlighted. The airway box uh, was an innovation that came out of Asia and that really spread through social media. Um, and as emergency providers who are taking care of the sickest patients with COVID uh, coming in, um, that was something that was very quickly spread through throughout the, the social media and was built. Uh, and it was just remarkable um, to see that um, happening. Um, so I think that those are some of the things that um, I, I would say. I mean, I think public health systems are critical. Um, innovation was a critical part here. Um, uh, but really just um, government uh, and nationwide uh, uh, policy around um, taking care of the populations was one of the key things that I think either showed good or bad responses. You mentioned the creativity and the evolution um, associated with COVID. And I think one of those was with regard to PPE, where here in the United States, of course, we have significant shortage and restrictions on PPE, where we even to this day, six months into the pandemic, we are, we still have, you know, significant extended uses of single use items and that sort of thing. But, you know, in emergency medicine, especially those where you've got the ability and the freedom to use your own stuff, looking at other industries, including uh, the industrial aspect of welding and then painting and things where we're using the um, ventilator type masks, respirator type masks and those types of things. Um, give us a little insight into how those processes in terms of access and use of PPE um, or evolution of PPE has played out in, you know, some of the areas around the world? Yeah, I think that the PPE uh, situation uh, at best was, um, you know, one of the things that left most emergency physicians and, and their families, quite honestly, and their teams, uh, the most vulnerable um, and left to their own devices. And, and I think looking at other sectors was what a lot of people did and really just you know, putting together a, a patchwork of, of protection, um, especially in situations where there are very limited resources. Right now we're seeing the beginning of a hotspot in India. And I think, you know, in places where there is not only limited resources, limited um, government ability to fund um, and populations uh, that are in 
shanty towns essentially uh, can provide uh, a significant challenge for the ability to get in and test and, and isolate people while protecting yourself. Um, I think we did see the um, issues around fraud or, or PPE that was not um, you know, meeting uh, the mark uh, that uh, was coming from different countries uh, out of Asia. Um, and the use of uh, really just um, anything that you could put on your body to protect you um, was, was what I think what a lot of our colleagues internationally were doing um, to protect themselves. And so well, that's one of the, the things that we will need to be looking at moving forward is the supply chain uh, around this issue. And, and where, where the airway box, for example, um, with uh, aerosolized um, contamination was a, a, an adjunct uh, for places that didn't have that, that level of uh, PPE protection. With emergency medicine really developing um, around the world and, and growing in terms of just not a local phenomenon with the, through the United States, I mean, we're seeing a lot of countries, a lot of you know, research that's coming from other areas of the world, you know, where we're learning, you know, a lot of EMS uh, based and frontline research is coming out of uh, Europe with their advancements in, in technology and in practice. Um, and I know that with ASEP in the United States, with our emergency medicine, there's been a big push, especially with what you're talking about is with the uh, international section to bring in um, and to grow that partnership and relationships uh, across international borders with emergency medicine, understanding how we can all advance together, um, really with the, the skills and countries and techniques uh, that can come about. And that was even before we start getting into the idea of a pandemic. How do you see that role of emergency medicine um, as a global response and a global relationship, not only for COVID-19, but also for potential threats in the future. We're already hearing about, you know, crazy new flus that, that China's got brewing up. How do, what is that role and how do we as a uh, global um, profession pull together and move forward as the response to these types of international threats? Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a critical question. Um, I guess I'll first start with, um, Reminding us that you know, ASEP with its thirty-two thousand uh, members um, is here to help us advance emergency care, not only in the U.S. but I, I think globally. Um, and and to its members, um, it has been focused uh, around you know several kind of major categories. Uh, I think advocacy, um, education, and training. Um, you know, leadership development and, and sort of patient care and, and the advancement of that. And so with the 50-year experience that, that I think ASEP and, and, and the section has, um, I think we're well positioned to help uh, play a role um, in emergency medicine uh, care um, in some of the most vulnerable places as, as well as advancing the development of the specialty, which is, uh, I think, critically important. You know, ASEP has a uh, a built-in infrastructure already with 20 committees um, and, and you know, lots of sections for its members to, to dock in and, and, and have um, a similar like uh, interest groups. So the international section um, has been you know, sort of longstanding. Um, we're probably the second largest section in ASEP uh, with about 1,500 uh, members. Um, 
with the building of the International EM Committee, um, that was a, a key strategic move towards that global engagement part that you're uh, speaking of. The board level objectives that were coming out are for the committee um, to really enact um, and as an external facing uh, body uh, to really think about uh, about this. So you're right. We've been thinking about um, international uh, and our global engagement uh, for a long time. Uh, first through the section, just building on our membership. Uh, we've been working on our ambassador program that represents about 80 countries. Uh, we've uh, I've created an ambassador conference that's been long uh, running now for seven years with um, representation um, uh, for over 100 countries and um, country reports that we uh, publish on the status of emergency medicine in those countries. Last year, we built a global village, um, and we really have been growing the, the section. This year with the committee, um, we've been focusing on our uh, growth of membership, uh, attendance at scientific assembly, and uh, a few other uh, key initiatives such as the Global Partnership Forum. Um, I think our role, um, given COVID, is going to be to help prop up the uh, emergency medicine and public health infrastructure that typically lands in our door. We are the, the pulse or the canary in the mine, uh, if you will, of uh, things that are, are coming, such as epidemics and pandemics. So I think we're gonna be a, a critical piece to that. I think we've shown the world through um, just the way that we take care of patients every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, um, that, that you know, our, our, our scrappy attitude um, with limited resources is typically, um, you know, the, the way that a lot of these systems around the world are providing care and, and we do it in a team-based approach with our nursing and health professional colleagues. Um, and I think that the patients and the public have realized that, and I think that there will be a significant amount of focus on that. Um, you know, I think like me and, and you and, and many uh, colleagues um, around the world, the pouring of support from the patients, you know, they're just thanking us uh, for walking into the, the house that's on fire every day to take care of the most uh, sick patients and sometimes to help them die very comfortably um, while we put their loved ones on, on iPad. And, and that's been a significant, I think, you know, challenge for us personally, that is a profession we're going to need to kind of come together and we, uh, to, to kind of debrief on that. Um, and that's part of the plan for our scientific assembly that's going to be online um, this coming October is to do a global track and really hear about these global experiences on COVID figure out what the lessons learned are and um, based on our shared experiences and, and then really move forward. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, ASAP 20 unconventional. Um, we are supposed to be gathering in um, uh, gathering in Dallas this October and with the crisis comes innovation um, and it also comes opportunity. And with though we can't get together and we're missing out on that um, personal relationship and camaraderie that typically comes with the national conferences, uh, any conferences for that matter this year, it seems like, um, you know, it's an opportunity not only to grow, but also to pull in other aspects that it's not, uh, you know, this this fall uh, more than just 
board-certified emergency medicine. It's other acute care, frontline, uh, international aspects, you know, being uh, an affordable way to get a lot of CME and, and top-notch education with regard to emergency medicine, acute care medicine. Um, and so I think it is an opportunity uh, for significant growth with our international um, colleagues, because there isn't the necessity to travel uh, overseas and the, and the cost and the, um, the logistics of making it to Dallas, Texas um, this year. And, you know, I think there is going to be pretty good opportunity with that uh, to grow and to uh, even expand our uh, network and, and make the tent a, a little bit bigger this year just because of the way that COVID has forced us to change the way that we do things. Um, and, you know, it's. I think it's going to be important also uh, for um, American physicians and other healthcare professionals to address, to look and see how other countries are doing things and how practicing. Because, you know, what we're what we do is not always the end all be all. I still remember talking to Alex Cirides out of uh, out of New Zealand. And, you know, his amazement at the way the United States focuses so much resources on uh, and on end of life trying to get quantity of days rather than quality of days and, you know, and, and not really addressing those end of life needs and the way that the U.S. critical care system functions. You know, and I think it's very important for us to be able to get an outside perspective and to almost reflect and to challenge and to see you know, what we do well that may be able to be shared with other countries, but also what other countries do that we potentially can um, absorb into our system to make it better. I mean, we have a, the United States system is, the overall healthcare system is very expensive for the, um, for the outcome measures. Um, and so how can we make it uh, more efficient and more, uh, and better, um, better utilization of the healthcare dollars? Now, if you had, you know, uh, Dr. Arbelez, if you said, if you had, a group of all, you know, 30, 40,000, um, and I think the number now, the total emergency physicians in the U.S. is somewhere around 59, 60,000, um, you know, of course, about a third of which are not EM board certified. Uh, but if you had every single one in the room, what would your recommendation be in terms of an American emergency physician, the call to look into and in and invest some um, intellectual capital into into these other systems around the uh, around the world. Well, I think you've you've covered a couple of points. Uh, you know, our tagline has been "Better Together," and I think you're right. I think that a um, a openness to uh, not only the way that we practice emergency medicine, and that is in urban urban and or rural uh, settings here in the. United States, um, that there's a lot that we can learn from our, our global colleagues um, in that uh, respect. And having worked, you know, in Haiti and other places um, under humanitarian um, efforts, um, and also having spent a lot of time in, in some of our uh, uh, Indian Health Service uh, reservations, that there are a lot of similarities um, in the way that we're um, taking care of our patients in a lot of those um, location. So I think that that um, better together in that bigger tent that we can all come together um, will just um, you know, really catapult uh, the specialty, um, especially if we can support our colleagues uh, around the world. And that's what we're trying to do through the section and through the committee work is to do a global engagement by bringing in, you know, the leaders, as you mentioned, Dr. Corey from um, USAM and we had the African Federation president, the Latin American Federation, and the Asian 
um, come together to tell us um, what is going on in the region in emergency medicine, how they're trying to uh, do economies of scale around conferences, um, and to really figure out ways that we can partner. Through the section, we also had an educational session um, that I think our, uh, our, our listening members would really appreciate. They were um, hacks um, of how to, in a creative way, um, put together things that we could um, improve the patient's care. Um, and some of them are applicable in some of the most remote areas um, you know, in the United States and um, in some of our states. And so I think that there's even um, things that we can learn from each other. Um, you know, so as far as your question of, you know, the sort of single thing that we could do, um, to really, uh, advance, I guess, emergency care, um, it's, I, I mean, I think it is the concept of, of having dialogue and, uh, being deliberate, uh, about, um, what emergency care is going to need to look like. Uh, for the next 10 to 15 years. And um, I think uh, what the specialty will look like um, as we work with um, our mid-level providers and in some countries it's the GPs that need to be trained um, and some basic emergency care uh, training that are needed in some of the most remote sites. And this is some of the things that the WHO is doing with their emergency care systems with their uh, WHO resolution that everybody deserves um, the most basic emergency care that people shouldn't be dying of sepsis or dehydration or trauma. And so there's a, there's a moral imperative there. And I think that there's a, a, a leadership opportunity um, where we can go in and either offer our services, provide the training um, of the BEC, for example, um, or uh, our, our world is truly now connected through um, online. And so I think some of the most basic things can be provided via the web now. Um, and I think that that's our opportunity uh, to advance uh, emergency care at a moment where the, the spotlight is on us uh, to play a big part in, a part in that. You can check out our podcast that we have done um, with Dr. Corey uh, with the EUSEP and um, as well as a couple of podcasts over the last couple of years, including one from ASAP 19 with the growth of the residency programs in emergency medicine within Africa. Um, and then uh, looking back a few years, some of those interviews um, from the SMAC conferences in Ireland and then in uh, Germany. Actually, Germany is where we did our first podcast interview on the um, on the growth of of, uh, of uh, emergency medicine programs in Africa. At that point, I think there was only one program uh, with like six or eight on the horizon. I think we've grown now uh, uh, quite a bit from there. But if you think about the size of the country, I mean, the continent um, uh, versus um, that's still not a whole lot of uh, profusion of, of expertise with emergency medicine. So I think it's very important for all of us to really get that international perspective. Um, and in fact, I think that's the name of the podcast that we did with Dr. Corey was the international perspective. And, um, 
is to get that viewpoint to, to kind of see where we are and to see where we can go and how we can all kind of move forward together. And if all else fails, an opportunity to travel and experience emergency medicine conferences and education and critical care uh, in other areas of the world, which I think is a very important thing for us to do uh, to advance our practice and to see what is available out there and um, and maybe even challenge the way that we practice and advance uh, together and, and share information. So, um Dr. Christian Arbelez, of course, he's been sitting here smiling at me so nicely the entire time. Of course, he's just shared his picture and not his uh, video with us, so I have no idea. He may be suns out, guns out by the pool um, right now, uh, going full COVID uh, meeting attire. Um, and so uh, how can folks get in touch with you if they want more information about the International uh, Section Committee or uh, have questions for you? Uh, sure. No, thank you. Um Yes, we we would love to have um, uh, you um, reach me uh, via email at Christian uh, underscore Arbelez, A-R-B-E-L-A-E-Z at brown.edu. Um, our website is up. Um, please visit us and uh, take a look at the many ways that you can get involved, either through the ambassador program. We have an ambassador mentorship program for medical students. Um, and that ambassador program can offer you um, uh, that direct access to a lot of our international colleagues who are working in the countries that, as you mentioned, you may be traveling to in some future state and you say, you know, I want to take a look at their emergency department or I want to visit with them or, um, or just uh, find ways that I can um, contribute and help. Um, we know uh, by talking to many of you at the Global Village in our exhibition hall that, that you're interested in, you know, you've been doing work in X country and you just don't know how to get involved and we're happy to, to help facilitate that. Um, so please get involved with the section. Um, your the committee uh, is, is an open uh, committee. Uh, so you're welcome to, to join us through there as well. Um, and there's just lots of, um, like lots of ways that we can all come together to um, really help um, our international colleagues at this time, at a time where I think we all need that um, that support um, and, and solidarity um, in the really challenging work that we do day in, day out uh, for our patients. So I think no better time than for us to come together now. Well, hopefully soon enough, the United States will be outside. Uh, we'll be able to be released from the world's penalty box um, that we've been placed in because of our response and uh, COVID case numbers. I kind of feel like we're in a hockey game and we're, we've got two to three minutes sitting in that little thing by ourselves, uh, so we don't... Uh, we don't infect the world. Uh, but hopefully soon enough, we can all get our passports um, freshened back up and we can all travel about and, and see and learn. And um, But until then, you know, we've got um, ASAP Unconventional coming up in October um, where we can uh, share information as well as expand the footprint of emergency medicine and uh, our relationships from around the world. And uh, once again, you know, thank you everybody for the being there on that front line and being willing to um, put yourself and your your family um, at risk. Um, more than that, of uh, many folks in in our communities, just to take care and being willing to uh, help folks in this challenging time. And uh, Dr. Christian Arbelez, I appreciate the the time and the efforts that we have. I look forward to further conversations and experiences. And, um, you know, we actually had planned to attend the European convention. Um, I think it's in stock was supposed to be in Stockholm this year, I believe. Um, 
Yeah, I believe so. We were planning to attend that and record from there, but hopefully we'll we'll put that on once we get out of the penalty box in 2021. We'll maybe visit the uh, the conference at that point and record some aspects uh, from there. And as for me, you can contact me, youreverydaymedicine@gmail.com. That's youreverydaymedicine@gmail.com or at everydaymed on Twitter. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline. <laughs>